Welcome to CMMS Radio, a podcast and general resource for all things CMMS, computerized maintenance management software, from selection to implementation to help you make better choices and have a successful CMMS journey. We'll bring in experts along the way to help us learn more about CMMS, facilities operations, and much more. If you need help with the CMMS project, send a message at cmmsradio.com using the What's On Your Mind link. Suggest a topic, share your CMMS story, or ask questions. This episode is sponsored by Upkeep, purpose-built for maintenance, reliability, and operations teams. Our mobile-first CMMS and asset operations management solution puts work orders, inventory, and asset info in the palm of your hand. Designed for ease of use and adoption, Upkeep aligns your team for peak business performance. Transform your operations. Transform your success with the multi-platform solution of Upkeep. Visit upkeep.com slash cmmsradio to receive a dedicated custom discovery session. Thank you for tuning in, everyone, today. We are joined by Tom Moriarty, PE, CMRP, and founder, president of Alidade, M-E-R. Since retiring from the Coast Guard in 2003, Tom has become a recognized expert in leadership, asset management, engineering, and reliability. Tom, welcome to CMMS Radio. Hey, good afternoon, Greg. Happy to be here. It's really nice to have you here, and I know you and I met before. In fact, you and I met at Reliable Plant Mm -hmm. 2023. That was their 25th year anniversary. Great conference. And we were at the Upkeep dinner. And at that particular dinner, you and I discussed CMMS, of course. We talked about leadership. We talked about accountability. We talked about the maintenance mindset, culture, and even execution. In fact, this is a main focus for you the last few years. And I wanted to ask you, why is it so important? Yeah, so uh, I, in my philosophy on how to do asset management, maintenance and reliability best practices, I start the bottom foundation is organization and leadership. Because without that, it gets very difficult to do the second, third, fourth, and fifth step. And the second step is hierarchy, criticality, configuration management. If you don't have accountability and leadership capability, you can't hold people accountable to execute those things to put those in place. Um, Likewise, uh, the third step is um, work management system. And the work management system, in my mind, includes the CMMS, but it also includes the processes and procedures and metrics that are needed to be defined. And once you put processes and procedures in place, again, if you don't have accountability or you don't have leadership capability, you're not gonna be able to execute. Um, And this is, uh, uh, oh, I'll just say too, the fourth step is equipment reliability and the fifth is continuous improvement, right? But uh, time and again, I'd go into places where uh, they're asking me to go in and do an assessment and to understand what their current practices are to then give them recommendations on how to put better processes and procedures and to maybe fully utilize their current CMMS or they're looking to bring in a new CMMS. And uh, I'm sure as you and all of your viewers know, uh, most organizations only use 10 or 15% of the capabilities of their current CMMS. Uh, But 
regardless, I would go in and it was always going to be a binder on the shelf of somebody who did exactly what I'm there to do five years earlier. And if you open up that binder and flip through it, it's all good stuff, right? It's all putting in place, you know, planning and scheduling and uh, storeroom best practices and all that good stuff. And they had put it in place and they got good results for a year, two years, and then it all came crashing down again. And so, you know, as an engineer and a MBA, I started looking at, well, why is that? And just keep peeling back the onion. And to me, it came back to accountability and leadership capability. It's interesting when you describe it and I'm, I'm just kind of following along and I'm thinking about how each of these things, they really are inextricably linked to one another to produce that outcome. And then when you do produce that outcome, if you do, right, because it's possible that, that, that organizations can achieve that, they have to always keep kind of moving that, moving that bar. Don't, don't fall into that trap of the status quo. And I think when you talk about accountability as it relates to execution, I just want to kind of take a shot at that and see if I'm understanding you right. So absent the accountability, the, that creates gaps within the execution process. So you might have a certain percentage of your team that's staying and being accountable. They want to actually record and document things because you know, the idea behind a CMMS, and we don't care which products, we don't want to talk about product right. names. We, we want to talk about what is a CMMS. It's a tool that allows you to be accountable, stay accountable, see what's coming. But if you have any percentage of people that just aren't buying in, maybe it's because of the why they, they, they weren't included in the decision-making or understanding why are we doing this? So what have you seen as far as accountability, like the best methods to get the team to buy in to be accountable, because I, I think that's one of the key components to why execution fails. Nobody will use it. Yeah, so I, I think uh, it's best to start um, a little more basic. Um, everything in nature, and I learned this in my engineering courses, right? Everything in nature tends to go from a high energy state to a low energy state, and it will continue to degrade to a low energy state unless more energy is put in to prop it back up. So when you think about accountability and leadership capability, that's that force that helps you to prop it back up. Because left to their own devices, people will revert to their old habits. And they'll revert to their old habits when they believe that um, the consequences of not following the new behaviors uh, is better, uh, I'm sorry, the consequences of getting caught are worth the risk of backsliding. And the second thing is when they perceive their old habit to be better than the new habit or the new behavior requirement, right? So if you don't have leaders that hold people accountable and they don't have the leadership capability to know how to hold people accountable, um, and it's also the positive side of that as well, right? So we don't want to just tell people when they're doing things wrong. We want to give them positive feedback when they're doing it right. Because that group of people, when you talk about, uh, you know, there's some cadre of people that um, just don't want to get with the program for whatever reason. Well, when you're giving people positive and corrective feedback, you're giving them positive feedback on one hand to let them know that, yes, this is, these are the behaviors that I'm expecting of you. And these are the behaviors that are in alignment with the policies, plans, processes, procedures, and measures. 
On the other hand, leaders need to have the mindset that when you give corrective feedback, when you're telling somebody that they didn't do something quite right, you're not doing it just to correct that one person. You're also doing it to support everybody that is doing it the right way, right? And so that's how you do it. You give positive and corrective feedback often, right? So uh, it, it makes it so that when that, uh, I mean, if you look at the Gallup Management Journal polls, they always talk about engaged, uh, the actively engaged, not engaged and actively disengaged, right? The actively engaged, those are your top performers, the 20, 25% of people that, you know, they want to dig through an operating manual to see how something works, right? Um, they'll take stuff home on the weekend just because they want to learn more, right? Th things like that. The um, disengaged people is that middle 50, 55% of people that they show up, they collect their paycheck, they marginally do what you ask them to do, but they don't give anything extra. Nothing wrong with that, good people. The other percentage, the lower 20, 25, 15%, someplace in that range, those are the PIAs, right? Pain in the arse, right? Ah. <laughs> those are the people that um, are, are your challenges. And as I said, when you're correcting, you're correcting those PIAs, you're correcting those to support everybody else who's doing it correctly, right? Yeah. And there's other aspects to it as well, but generally that's what you're trying to do. The more you can socialize the behaviors that you want, the better chance that you're going to get it. Um, there's a great book called The Power of Habit. I don't know if you've read it or any of your uh, listeners have. In The Power of Habit, they talk about the habit cycle. And they talk about, because um, it's Charles Duhigg is the, the uh, author of that. And he talks about uh, when, you're, when you do a behavior often enough to create a habit, that's what we're trying to do, right? So when I talk about culture, and if we talk about a culture of following uh, work management processes, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about a culture, culture is, my definition is just what most people do most of the time. What people do are behaviors. So we want to put in place guidance, direction and guidance, right? So direction is mission, vision, values, and objectives. Guidance is policies, plans, processes, procedures, and measures. So we have those two things, direction and guidance, to tell people what are the behaviors that we want you to do, okay? When we get them to follow those behaviors, often enough, they create a habit. So that individual, and there's actually a thing, a physical thing that happens within your brain, the difference between just doing a behavior and when it actually becomes a habit. When it becomes a habit, the, the, uh, the thoughtful... Um, thinking about how you're actually doing what you're doing shifts from your cerebral cortex. That's the effortful thought portion of your brain. Uh, deep thought, it consumes a lot of energy. When you form a habit, that habit is processed in your basal ganglia. The basal ganglia just looks at patterns. And the thing I use uh, to explain this all the time is uh, when you're driving home from work, Right. As you're driving home from work, you know the route home. You're not even thinking about the route home. You're not thinking about how much turn you're putting on the steering wheel. When's the next turn coming up? Brakes, accelerator. You don't think about that stuff. You're thinking about your kid's soccer game or you're thinking about your wife wants to go to dinner tonight or whatever it is. But your brain is working on those effortful thought things while your behavior is being dictated by your basal ganglia. Right. So to form a habit, we want to do the behavior often enough 
that it shifts from your cerebral cortex into your basal ganglia. That's in, in the workplace when we're learning a new, new task, that's the learning curve, right? You have to, and there's different ways that you can consolidate a memory from short-term memory to long-term memory. Most of it is done by uh, repetition. Uh, some of it's done by things called pattern hooks, and that's how your brain processes information where it stores the information. So uh, there's two different ways of pattern hooks. One is um, where you're using um, uh, multiple senses. So your so when you're learning to drive a car, your eyesight, you're seeing relative motion between the inside of the car and outside of the car. You're feeling acceleration and deceleration. Uh, you're feeling your feet on the pedals and your hands on the wheel. You're hearing your person that's instructing you on how to drive, right? So all these different senses are helping to create pattern hooks and lock the information in. Um, similarly, there's another pattern hook where it's uh, being in similar circumstances. So uh, in the CMMS case, that's when the vendor supplies you with a sandbox and you can go in and play with the screens and do all that stuff without hurting the actual data, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you're learning it. Those are, again, pattern hooks because you're seeing the same situations and it's helping you to lock those things into your brain. So once you do the behaviors often enough to create a habit, then that locks it in. But as I said earlier, people will revert to old habits when they feel like the consequences of being caught are not significant and when they feel like the old habit is better for them than the new habit. This yeah. is why we have to have... Uh, within uh, leadership capability, I talk about karma, which is to be consistent, uh, attentive, uh, respectful, motivating, and assertive. And so you have to be attentive and assertive when you're trying to keep people onto their behaviors, right? When you lock in that behavior and you put them on autopilot for the habit. Now, when most people have the same habit, that's when you have the culture. Got Pretty it. simple. Got it. Yeah. It, well, it is and it isn't, right? So you, yeah. you're, you're giving me flashbacks to like, you know, the psychology of learning and a lot of the other things, you know, when I did some coursework and studied a lot of those things, and it's quite fascinating and it's extremely accurate. It's how it actually happens with yeah. habit formation and all those things. And so, so that we don't spin out, I think, again, we're, we're having a natural conversation, but I'm, I'm thinking that that habit formation really comes from a combination of consistency and intentionality, and it'll always come back to the why. Why am mm -hmm. I doing this versus right. what happens if I don't? If what happens when you don't is no big deal, at least you're perceiving it that way, mm -hmm. then you're going to be less likely. And it reminds me of all these challenges when we're dealing with CMMS platforms, whether we have one, we're getting our first one, or we're about to replace one. How do we approach this? And we yeah. want to go, I, I don't necessarily like the example of top down versus bottom up because I don't, I try to avoid the hierarchy because we really want to tie it all together. We're all on the same team, different aspects of the same team, right? Like if it's an mm -hmm. NFL football team and I'm equating that to a maintenance team, you've got your front office, you've got your back office, you've got all the trainers and then you've got the athletes and so on and so on. They're all connected with common goals and they buy in on the why, which is the same thing in maintenance environments that uh, it, it, you're really empowering people by giving them that why to turn that corner and create those behaviors. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about it just in terms of, okay, we've designed this work management process and we either are going to use our existing CMMS or we're going to buy a new one and we're going to configure it. I say this, and I don't mean to offend anybody in the uh, vendor side, but when, and I've witnessed this probably a dozen times, the vendors come in and they say, hey, we've got this great software. Um, we've got a module for your industry. Just put our module in and you'll be up and running. Well, that's great for them because they make the sale. They book the sale this quarter. They're happy. They get their bonus check. Everything, everybody's happy on the vendor side. On the customer side though, Nine times out of 10, they didn't have a good functioning work management process to start with. They're now depending on a vendor's module um, and they're supposed to change the way they're doing things to meet this vendor's module. Right away, you've lost three quarters of the workforce because wasn't invented here, right? Um, and that vendor module probably doesn't really match the way that your plant operates. Um, you probably didn't have your hierarchy, your configuration management, your criticality done ahead of time. So when you try to load that information in, oh, we'll make it up later. We'll go back and add it later. Well, when you do that, you can't get your planning and scheduling done, right? Because you don't have configuration management. You don't have criticality, right? All those things. Uh, so the ideal way to do it is to get a good work management process and procedures mapped out, know what your metrics are, know what you're gonna put in for all of your data tables for codes and all the ways that the bells and whistles the way things are gonna be set up. And the most important thing is to don't make decisions, like if you're, if you're learning to walk before you run, don't make decisions that are gonna lock you in, that is gonna make you go back and have to go to ground zero again if you bring in a more sophisticated CMMS, right? Uh, so when you're doing these things, when you're mapping out what that work management process is, that's great. Now you bring in the CMMS and you configure the CMMS with the hierarchy, criticality, configuration management, and the workflow that you've decided on with your work management process. Marry those two things together, you got something outstanding. But now you're putting that into practice. How do you maintain it downstream? That's all of the, what I call productive leadership, right? So um, accountability has to do with um, who's ultimately responsible for putting guidance in place, providing the assets that are required, who's ultimately responsible for then executing the current guidance with the current assets. And that junior person that has the accountability for execution they also have to tell the senior person when there's a deficiency, when I don't have enough people, I don't have the right software, I don't have the, the calibrated uh, torque wrenches, right? So it's, a, it's like a symbiotic relationship. Once that deficiency comes up, it's the senior person who's now accountable to update the guidance or the assets that are needed for that junior person to execute, right? Yeah, I think, I think when that whole thing starts to really unfold and we're getting some traction within an organization, to you know implement and we're seeing the buy-in we're seeing the system use what is common is as that is unfolding people start to almost back away and what i find most interesting about that and this this it might have everything to do with cmms or nothing at all to do with cmms it has everything to do with process 
if process is in place, absent a CMMS or anything else, it could mm-hmm. be pieces of paper. It could be, you know, there's all kinds of ways to approach it. That's the thing that I think matters most, but people can always kind of languish, if you will, where they start to ease up and kind of rely on, well, I've done all that, so that's done. And that is just not how it works. You've done all of that, so now keep doing that, and you get better, faster, more accurate. And then when you talk about the basal ganglia, this is where we're, in a sense, at least partially automated based on cues, experiences, things that we see out there. And one of the best things I ever saw was when there was a – CMMS in place. I was part of this, you know, uh, and there was a maintenance team, particular maintenance team that was like, we don't want anything to do with that. We get them on the phone and we're talking to them and we, we, we put on our vendor big boy pants and we say, what's going on here? How can we help them even more? And we find out the why never made sense to them. And when we go through it, we find out a couple of weeks later because somebody picks up the phone and calls and says, wow, thank you for that training for my team. Now we understand now why it. and everybody's doing the things and they're getting the results. And they actually said, we don't know how we were doing what we were doing for so long without this. And right. that's the potential for orgs that are utilizing CMMS in the right way, meeting their people where they are, understanding their why and all those kinds of things. And it sounds like kumbaya because when it works, it kind of is, right? It, mm-hmm. it can do great things. You're getting good oh, yeah. data and all that stuff. So I want to I want to switch to something else. So when it comes to CMMS vendors and the role that they play, how are they getting it right and wrong in your view. And you already touched on it a little bit where maybe they're a little bit, and we understand everybody's got to hit a number, right? You're selling software, you're selling software. Ooh, I got the sale and all that, but where are they going wrong? And do they even know it? Yeah. So the big names, uh, so I'll start with what's going right, right? So the big names, the Maximos and those sorts of folks, um, they've been doing it for a long time. They understand asset management. They understand, work management processes, um, you know, the, with, with robustness comes complexity. So a lot of people have a hard time if they're, you know, low level or mid level trying to get better at work management, uh, they might get frustrated because of the complexity of that software, right? But the tool itself, like what you uh, uh, talked about early on in this conversation, um, I view the CMMS as a database for organizing data so that you can get information, right? Um, so a lot of the big players that have been doing it for a long time are doing really well with it. And even some of the newcomers are doing really well with it because they've got, uh, they've got a background on their staff that understand this stuff. But I think there's also some, now to shift to the negative side, uh, there's also, I think, some CMMSs that uh, try to whittle down the complexity to the point where it's not all that useful. I mean, if you're starting from zero, absolute zero, and you have nothing, uh, you're using Excel spreadsheets to manage your PM program, something like that, then getting something with a little bit more sophistication is valuable. But I think uh, if you're if you're an organization that's trying to make improvements over the long term, then those are going to have a very limited shelf life, right? Um, 
because once they get sophisticated and they have to move on to a more complex database, then they're going to be getting done with you and moving on to some other product, right? Right. Um, right. And the other thing that I think uh, most uh, vendors don't do well is they don't truly understand asset management. Salespeople are salespeople. Um, the processes that that database needs to accommodate, um, a salesperson may or may not have that background information. They may be great at getting in the door, great at closing deals, but do they really understand the needs of the customer? The sophistication, is my software that I'm selling too complex for them or not complex enough, right? And can I talk them into the purchase? Probably, right? But is it the right tool for that customer? Maybe not. I, I, I love that because I talk about how it's really about process. I want to understand process. So if I'm talking to a CMMS provider, a vendor, having been one for many, many years myself, I'm a heck of a lot more interested in the process that they meet, but I actually boil that down even further. I want to know the problem that you solve, not all the problems that you solve. I want to know the intentional purpose built kind of problem. If that makes any sense where that's where the stuff happens as far as like, I don't care about your features. I don't care about all this and that. What I care about is what's the number one problem that you solve better than anybody on the planet and why, why did you build it? so that it resonates with people. Cause I think that's one of the challenges. So I'm switching gears here where when, when it comes to customers, they have to deal with this, this fact that there are so many CMMS platforms out there. And the reason there are so many, in my opinion, is that everybody works differently. So they all can get traction and be, you know, maybe a niche play or yeah. something like that. But how, how can customers really help themselves towards this path of great execution once hey, they've selected? The, the first most important thing is to be educated, right? Not educated on software. Be educated on what is good asset management, what's good work management processes. Why? Why do you need hierarchy? Why do you need criticality? What business rules do you set up based on those things, right? That's the biggest problem, I think. It's not like I've been harping on the vendor side, but on the customer side, I've been into so many medium-sized manufacturing plants that they they read an article, somebody read an article about you know planning and scheduling. So yeah, give me 10 pounds of that, right? Yeah. But they don't understand where planning and scheduling fits into the bigger picture. So they don't understand what are the inputs that make that successful. And then once you have the inputs and you have that, what are you going to get out of it, right? So they're just looking for how do I manage work orders? How do I track my labor hours and parts used, right? But they have no concept of the value of the information that you can get back out the other end, mm. right? That's... And so you have an uneducated customer and a, and a uh, vendor that's you know, incentivized by closing the deal. You're going to have a problem. Right. So for me, the biggest incentive is the biggest uh, gap that needs to be closed is on the customer side, having them understand what's needed. Right. Yeah. So uh, if now if you're a vendor, um, that can be expensive spending time educating to that level. So who's going to get paid to do that? Right. So 
that becomes a problem. If you're a consultant like me, I'd, I'd love to do that all day long for every customer I come across, uh, but they don't want to spend the money to do that either because they think they know enough to get the, ven- the, the vendor's solution, right? But yeah. they don't know what questions to ask to make sure that that vendor's solution is the one that they want. Absolutely, and I think that's where consultants, the right consultants, play a critical role in just helping. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and oftentimes I know plenty of consultants that will jump on discovery calls with people and that call will wrap up with, you know, I think you should be looking at this, this, and this, and they may not do any business, but those consultants will help mm-hmm. to just at least get them in a good position to know where to go and look for what they're doing. There's another thing that popped into my head and this is a little, this is a shameless plug. It's not a little bit, it's, it's an actual shameless plug. So one of the things I've been really fascinated with over the last year or two is meeting and connecting with lots of CMRPs. You're a CMRP yourself, so the Certified Maintenance and Reliability Professional. And what, I, what, I'm, what I'm learning and understanding is how, how you see the world when it comes to maintenance and reliability, which is an area where somebody can, can really help themselves. Whether you're on the customer side and you have a maintenance department, maintenance and operations, or even when you're a vendor. So the shameless plug or the plug is this. Uh, CMMS radio has an exclusive offer where people can get a 10%. Well, no, it's not 10%. It's actually $99 off on CMRP online course. And it's, it's the, it's the best one in the business. And that's on the CMMS radio website under the affiliate. So go check that out. Everybody you'll get a discount and you'll use the code CMMS radio. That'll be on the, on the episode when it comes out, I'll put that up on screen somewhere. I don't know where yet. But I wanted to talk about that because I, I think that's an area where even for me, as I learn more and more about it and slowly going through the coursework and some of the reading, it's all right there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in the facilities world, we have similar kind of credentialing where if somebody learns that, it starts to make sense of that. And then on top of all of that, we want to do a better job of connecting the business to the maintenance and operations, like yeah. the, the maintenance activities are actually revenue drivers. They're not just a cost on a balance sheet. So that's another thing that we like to talk about. I want to switch it to some fun questions. And the first one is, what is your favorite music? Oh, uh, hmm. favorite? Hmm. That's a real tough one because I'm, uh, I'm like classic rock on one hand and I'm blues on the other hand, right? So, right. Uh, and a lot of it crosses over, right? Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, you know, all the, uh, seventies kind of guys, right. I'm 61 years old. So, uh, so that's, uh, and lately I'd say in the last five or 10 years, I've been really getting back into blues and stuff. So, uh, Susan Tedeschi, Teresa James, a lot of, a lot of good, good tunes, man. So. Very good. Very good. I like it. And this is, this is why I like to, to kind of get into this segment because it's interesting to get to know people on these things and oh, everybody asks that it's okay. It, it's meaningful. Music transcends everything. It's just a great thing. Yeah. So I always like to ask about that. Now, my next question is what is your favorite sport or hobby? And it doesn't matter if you actually do that sport or hobby Maybe you just watch it and you like it and you find it entertaining and exciting. Favorite sport or oh, hobby? Yeah. Uh, favorite sport to watch is hockey. 
I'm a huge Boston Bruins fan. Uh, <laughs> they had a fantastic season last year and fell flat in the playoffs. Uh, so be it. Uh, this year they started off really well. Uh, so that's, I'm real excited about that. Uh, baseball is kind of my number two, uh, but definitely hockey. As far as hobbies, uh, I've never, uh, never been much of an athlete myself. I, w- I always tell people, uh, if, if you remember that movie, Rudy, about the yeah. kid that was a walk-on in the Notre Dame football team, I always yeah. say I was like Rudy, but I didn't have his athletic ability. So <laughs> I always tried, like when I was young in high school and stuff, I, I always played real hard, put 100% in it, but I was not going to college on a scholarship. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the the sport I play myself now is, is golf. Um, I'm about a seven handicap. Uh, this little red flag back here is uh, from St. Andrew's number 17 hole. I was there uh, last year in September. Myself and a buddy of mine went over there for our 60-year-old bucket list trip, played uh, three courses in St. Andrews. We didn't get on the old course. Uh, it's real tough to get on there. Uh, but we played uh, three of the St. Andrews courses, plus another one up the coast in um, Crail called Balcomi. And then we went to Ireland uh, for another few days and played uh, Bally Bunyan and both courses there, uh, uh, Kilkey and uh, Hogshead. So had, it was a bucket list trip when we were 60. And I tell people that if you're going to make a bucket list trip when you're 60, do it when you're 50. Because my knees were barking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, all this stuff wears out as we keep going on. That's for sure. Yeah, but man. That, that sounds like it was a blast. Now, the final of the fun questions, at least for today, is... What is your view, perspective, opinion, anything on work-life balance? And there are no wrong answers. Hmm. I think that's, uh, I'm probably different than some of the people that have answered this question. I I would say that work-life balance is all a personal thing. Um, When I was young, uh, I'd work 20 hours a day and that made me happy. Uh, once kids come along, that changes the equation, you know, and, uh, or you get married that can change the equation. Uh, but I, thankfully I had a spouse that, uh, was very understanding. She let me, you know, pursue my, my professional dreams. And, uh, so, uh, but at this point in my, and again, now at this point in my life, my kids have been gone for several years. I'm, uh, Frankly, I'm in a very good position. I don't have to work anymore, uh, but I just choose to continue to do the leadership stuff and a few other things. Um, so in terms of work-life balance, I don't think there's one size fits all. I think that uh, if you enjoy your work and it doesn't really feel like work, then you know, do what you need to do. Uh, but uh, that's not the case for most people, right? Most people feel the opposite of that. They feel like they want time off, need time off, and it's hard to come by uh, in some cases because there's not enough people, right? The, it's very difficult for organizations to hire enough people to get to full staffing. So uh, that's a really difficult thing. Um, and so, I mean, when you look at things like uh, how businesses run, um, is it better to burn everybody out, have low quality, high turnover, all the, all the recalls and product and things like that? Or is it better to cut back on production to get your good price, to get good quality, to have a happy workforce? 
I don't know. I think there's a balance in there, right? So if you run your people into the dirt, um, that's never going to be a good thing. Right, right, right. And it's, it's, uh, it's a question I like to ask because the answers as similar as they might be, they're quite different. If that, I know that's kind of a paradox, but I, I think it's just an interesting concept. We all think about it. Some people would tell you, there's no difference. It's all, it's all connected and it just is what it is. Other people will tell you, well, I do this and then I do that. They're, they're all right. They're not wrong. It's just, we want to be thinking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. The popular thing is to, Hey, everybody should have lots of time off, uh, time off and there should be unicorns and butterflies every place and everybody should sing Kumbaya. But you know, (laughs) the business is in business for a reason. They're there to make a profit. And you know, if you can't, if you can't produce quality product, you're not going to be in business long. And yeah. so, uh, you know, there's a balance there. Um, and some organizations are much better at meeting that balance than others. But, you know, I can see both sides of this, right? Um, particularly everybody's, you know, all these studies have come out that talk about uh, the younger generation, just they want experiences, they want more time off, they want, you know, flexible working conditions and all that sort of stuff. And that's great where it can happen. Uh, but in a lot of industry, a lot of facilities, uh, you can't, you know, there's, there's a limit to how much you can do. If a light bulb needs to be changed, you know, as good as Boston Scientific is, I don't think they've got a robot that can do all those things, you know? So. <laughs> good old spot where I was talking about spot. Well, <laughs> for everyone out there, if you want to reach Tom, you can find him on LinkedIn or you can visit alladade-mer.com. That's A-L-I-D-A-D-E-M-E-R.com. He's there to help. He's got an immense amount of experience, and he's written books. He's got all these insights, so I suggest you re- – there it is right there. Find that. I was ready you find it on, on Amazon and really – had a blast with this conversation. Of course, when we were talking out at RP, Tom, this has been great. Thank you so much for being on with me on CMMS radio. Well, thank you so much, Greg. And uh, I I will say too, I am working on an online training course, Uh, should be out before the end of the year. And uh, you know, if any of your listeners uh, would like to partake in that, I'll, uh, I'll give them a 10% discount. Oh, wow. That's awesome. What we'll do is when it's all ready to go, get me some info on that and I can, I'll put it on the website and maybe we'll, we'll talk about it on a future episode so that people can avail that. Really appreciate that. Did you find this episode helpful? Please send us some feedback, suggest a topic or ask a question. Reach out to CMMS Radio if you need a co-pilot on your CMMS project. Visit CMMSradio.com and use the What's On Your Mind link. Thank you for tuning in to CMMS Radio, your resource for all things CMMS from selection to implementation to help you make better choices, learn from industry experts, and have a successful CMMS journey.